We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Blue Wire. I want everybody to see you for what you are. The best kept secret in the NFL. You are the man. You ready? Yep. Let's go. My name is Jerry Maguire. I'm a sports agent. You could say I'm at the top of my game, but something just isn't right. Jerry Maguire! What can I do for you, Rod? Show me the money. Can you sign my card? Sorry, little fella. I can't sign this brand of card. Only Pro Jam Blue Dot cards. And lately, it's getting worse. Came here to let you go. Pardon me? I came here to fire you, Jerry. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. It's the first episode of February, and it is Oscar season, so this month we're covering movies that won or were nominated for Oscars. Doing just sports movies that won Oscars would have admittedly kind of hamstrung the scheduling a little bit, so had to extend that into nominations. Last week we did Days of Thunder, and this week we're grabbing a different kind of Tom Cruise sports movie with Jerry Maguire. Sports writer and radio host Julie DeCaro joined me to cover this one, and she was excellent. I've admired her work from afar on Twitter for a while, so it was great to have her on. Highly encourage giving her a follow. She's a fantastic guest. It was a really fun episode. I just love this movie. I think uh, Julie does too. There's a lot to talk about, and it's really as quotable a sports movie as, as you can find. If you are enjoying big screen sports and you haven't yet, Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating. As you know, those are extremely important for uh, for this podcast to grow. And if you so wish a review, I will read out all new reviews at time of recording. Let me know what you think, episodes you've liked, guests you want to hear, movies you want covered. You know the drill. If this is your first episode of Big Screen Sports, go back, check, see if we've covered any of your favorites or your least favorites. Uh, this podcast is coming up on a year now, so there's a, there's a big catalog 
Uh, pretty much every episode is evergreen. So, uh, you know, if you enjoy this episode, there's a lot to fill your time with. We've got, a, got nearly 60 episodes now. So uh, check that out. You can uh, always follow at big underscore screen sport on Twitter or Instagram at big screen sports pod for upcoming episode news, uh, just general sports movie content. I think next week we are doing Chariots of Fire, which won the 1981 Best Picture over uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. My buddy J.R. Hickey's coming on for that. But with, uh, with that, it is time to start off Oscars month with Julie DeCaro and Jerry Maguire. All right, for today's episode, I am joined by sports writer and radio host at 670 The Score Chicago, Julie DeCaro. Julie, thank you so much for joining me today to talk Jerry Maguire. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Before we get into this classic movie, the first episode of Oscars Month on Big Screen Sports, uh, tell the folks where they can find you on social media and, and what upcoming work you've got. Uh, you can get me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Julie DeCaro. Um, you can hear me most nights from 10 to 12 on 670 The Score and on the weekends on The Julie and Maggie Show on Saturdays. And I've got a book coming out in the spring of 2021. Well, everyone go check out that. Julie, I've been following you on Twitter for a while, and that's where I found a tweet of yours about Jerry Maguire, which is why I, I reached out to cover this movie. It's it's a classic. It's a great way to start off Oscars month. Jerry Maguire is a 1996 uh, sports romantic comedy. When a sports agent has a moral epiphany and is fired for expressing it, he decides to put his new philosophy to the test as an independent agent with the only athlete who stays with him and his former secretary. It stars Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger, and Cuba Gooding Jr. It was written and directed by Cameron Crowe, got an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, grossed $273 million worldwide, and at the 69th Annual Academy Awards in 1997, Jerry Maguire was nominated five times for Best Picture, Best Actor for Cruise, Best Original Screenplay for Crow, Best Editing, and a win for Best Supporting Actor for Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, Cameron Crowe followed this up with Almost Famous, which I think is my preferred film of the two, but it's an excellent back-to-back. Uh, do, do you have a, Julie, do you have a uh, Almost Famous or Jerry Maguire favorite? Yeah, it's Jerry Maguire. Okay. I liked I liked Almost Famous a lot, but it didn't get me on the level that Jerry Maguire did. Yeah, Jerry Maguire is definitely, I mean, they're both excellent. It's, it's a it's an incredible back-to-back. The rest of his career has been pretty uneven since, honestly. Yeah. Um, but let's open with, Julie, for you, what makes a good sports movie? Uh, gosh, I mean, I think you got to try to find the humanity in sports, right? I mean, those are all the movies we love, right? It's the natural, it's the Jesse Owens story, it's 42, it's, it's you know, uh, Bull Durham, for as funny as it was, it had so much humanity in it of watching this long time, you know, minor league star who's unable to really make the jump. Um, so I think it's got to be both. I mean, sto- sports stories are great, but we work through every single social issue we have in this country via sports. And so, you know, baseball was integrated before America was integrated. So it's got there's got to be something bigger than just the sports. And I think this movie definitely takes an extra effort to be about the humanity of sports and not just about the on-field. It's kind of one of the early, first early movies of the behind-the-scenes of sports. That's part of the reason that, uh, that that Crow did the movie. For you, is it a Hall of Fame, All-Star, Starter, or Benchwarmer sports film? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so if we say Hall of Fame or like the top five sports movies of all time, it's right on the border for me between Hall of Fame and All-Star. But I'll put it in Hall of Fame. It's probably my top five sports movies of all time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's high praise. I've Doing this podcast, I've kind of struggled of, 
of determining how I'm going to run my Hall of Fame. And in an episode episode last month, I did Bloodsport. And I kind of put it in a Hall of Fame just as like for what it is, it's really good, but it's not on the same level as movies like this. Um, I kind of operating it like the like Bill Simmons pyramid in the in the book of basketball. But <laughs> this one is this one is elite. It's, it's a different kind of sports movie. It's it's just and it's so rewatchable, which I think, you know, plays into it, especially if it's if it's on TV, it's something you want to turn on. I've got a couple opening questions for you. Uh, one is who is the worst person in this movie? There's a lot of options. There's Bob Sugar. There's Matt Cushman. <laughs> I ran a poll on the Big Screen Sports Twitter account about this uh, with Bob Sugar edging out Matt Cushman 31.3% to 30.2%. It was a tight race. Who is your worst person in this movie? Uh, that's a, you know, Matt – so Matt Cushman is – it's the racist angle that makes us all hate him yes, so much, right? I mean, sure. before that, you sort of believe that it's like he's really just in the best interest of his kid and a little bit of his ego with wanting him to go number one. Bob Sugar, for me, is like the embodiment of the sports and sports media industries. So I always felt like he was a stand-in for like everything that's horrible – for the movies. But I think Matt Cushman is a sneakier kind of horrible person where you don't really see how horrible they are until they let the mask slip. Um, and because there are so many Bob Sugars and there are so many Matt Cushmans, but I feel like letting him let that mat, that mask slip when he's like, you were in the lobby with the black fella, that that's when you're like, Oh, you're bad. You're terrible. So and it's I his go last with Matt line of the movie. It's yeah, his last I'll line of the Matt movie. Cushman. I believe. And I love Bo Bridges so much. It was such a horrible role for him to play. I know. It hurts to see. It really, it's it's really tough for him to be Matt Cushman. Um, Bob Sugar is a just a great A scumbag there. There's a great nugget in the IMDB trivia that we'll go over. Uh, my second question for you, though, is how long do you think Jerry and Dorothy last? Their relationship is is the biggest question mark of this movie for me, honestly, especially upon rewatch. Um, it is for me, it's, it's kind of tough, honestly. Right. Because there's that scene where she says he, gosh, he sure loves my kid. And he really does like me a lot. And I'm not sure we ever really got past that point, despite the big, like you complete me scene. I still think he's really talking about Ray. And I think that they had more chemistry in the movie. I mean, it's a toss up between, um, Kubrick and Jr. and Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise and Matthew Lipnicki. Right. So, um, I think they last at least until Ray is out of out of high school. And beyond that, I don't know. Yeah, I think he really gets caught up in a lot. Of, Jerry is a guy who gets caught up in emotion, clearly, multiple times in the movie. I think he really gets caught up in the, you know, Rod just had this big game. Things are finally going well. Hey, you know, I, I had this family a week ago. I, I feel like I really need them. And Rod's got this great family. I see what he has. And I think Jerry just kind of, it, Jerry is very impulsive, um, extremely yes, impulsive extreme. carrier. Yep. And I think that's a lot of what makes up that relationship with Dorothy. You know, for me, a, a lot of that is the biggest, you know, question mark of the movie. Um, there is an excellent amount of IMDb trivia for this one. Uh, lots to discuss. Um, and the first is with potentially my favorite character. Jonathan Lipnicki showed up on the set one day telling everyone that the human head weighed eight pounds. Cameron Crowe liked it so much he wrote it in the script. He is That's the most amazing. adorable child. I think ever. he really is. Yeah, he is. And, and it was kind of a shame that he could never get past that role. You know, I mean, he always because I think that most kids that are kid actors are so ridiculously intelligent. But once you grow out of being cute, then it's sort of like, what do you do? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, I mean, the the stats show it's very few make the move into being mainstream actors as adults. Yeah, I mean, there's very few Jodie Foster's, very few, what, Scarlett Johansson's, uh, Elijah Wood, but not a ton of those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf, but not quite as young when he started, I don't think. Yeah. I think he was more of a teenager. Um, two lines from this film, show me the money and you had me at hello, or in the AFI's top 100 movie quotes, I have, I, I definitely prefer show me the money over you had me at hello, especially <laughs> 20 plus years later. Well, yeah, I mean, because you know for sure that that was a genuine and sincere, right? As opposed to you had me at hello. I mean, I think she's sincere, but I'm not really sure what she's, re- what Dorothy's responding to, if that's sincere or not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, there's some interesting casting nuggets. When Cuba Gooding Jr. first read for his part in the studio, he did so with Robin Williams, assuming that Williams is going to be playing the title role. However, Tom Cruise had already been hired and Williams is simply simply substituting as a favor. Uh, because Cameron Crowe took so long to writing the screenplay, he felt that his original choice to play the title character, Tom Hanks, was too old to play the part by the time this film was ready to be made. That's that's an interesting thing to think about is Tom Hanks is Jerry Maguire. Yeah, I know. I don't like it. I don't either. I think it, it would have had to have been like big age Hanks. He, he definitely was too old. I think he's too old. And also Tom Cruise, I think, has an edge to him or can have an edge to him that Tom Cruise is ne- or that that Tom Hanks has never really had. So, I mean, there's a reason that Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers. Right. I mean, in Tom Cruise, I think is a little bit, I don't want to say he's more of a capable actor, but I think he's a little bit more capable of going to a darker place, maybe than Tom, than Tom Hanks is. Yeah. Tom Cruise, the whole Jerry's life is kind of falling apart for an hour. And I don't know, I don't know if it's, I would have not wanted to see Tom Hanks like that, or if Tom Hanks couldn't, he's never really done that. Um, I think the most desperate you ever see him is Castaway, but that's a different kind of desperation. Well, so, and he's never unlikable. I mean, never. he's never unlikable. Like Jerry is unlikable at times. And, and I don't know that that works with Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I agree. It's kind of the end run of that cruise charisma edge. Um, we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, Jennifer Lopez turned down the role of Dorothy Boyd at the behest of her agent who felt that the role well. was not right for her. <laughs> I kind she of agree. Keeps, she makes it is not right for her, but she also just keeps making horrible choices when it comes to movies. I know. I mean, she's a history of just picking the wrong movie over and over and over. This casting, you know, this kind of casting, what if, is something that I think this movie this this could have been interesting. Jamie Foxx auditioned for the role of Rod Tidwell. I think he would have been excellent because he's ba- that's basically like Willie Beeman but a wide receiver. Yeah, for sure, sure. And then him Same and Cruz kind of energy, work together. Yeah, him and Cruz work together uh, later in Collateral, which I love. Yeah. Um, the story for Jerry Maguire is reportedly based on real-life Orange County agent Lee Steinberg, who makes a cameo in the film as Troy Aikman's agent, which he was in real life. Uh, and then the role of Bob Sugar, Jerry's unethical archenemy, played by Jay Moore, was allegedly based on the real-life sports agent Drew Rosenhaus, known for similar tactics. Oh, oh I didn't know that. That's delicious. Can't you see Bob Sugar out in T.O.'s driveway saying he has like 30 million reasons not to kill himself or whatever he said? Absolutely. It's very on the nose. Uh, Former NFL defensive back Tim McDonald is credited to have come up with the phrase, show me the money, while he was a member of the Arizona Cardinals. The hit that knocks out Tidwell took 29 takes and three different stuntmen to get right. Uh, It is quite the flip, the the whole thing. That, That doesn't surprise me. Did it take three different stuntmen because they kept knocking the stuntmen out? I don't know. I, I don't. Wow. I've got a, I've got a lot of thoughts on the whole uh, the whole 
the whole last scene. Um, the, as Cameron Crowe worked on the film, he learned that Cuba Gooding Jr. was considered too small by the standards of the NF, most NFL receivers. So he wrote a line of dialogue into the script that refers to this. And I like that about the character that he is that undersized guy. Yeah, and I think we we do see those guys from time to time in the NFL, right? We've got one on the Bears with Tariq Cohn. I mean, he is a small guy. I mean, I think a lot of times um, when I was still a practicing lawyer, I had a couple clients that were NFL players, and one of them came in, and I was shocked at how small he was. Um, but, you know, it sort of works well with Rod having that chip on his shoulder and feeling like he always has to prove himself. Um, but there is a scene, the scene right at the beginning when he's dancing around his house yelling, show me the money. I was looking at him and I was like, he's small. He's really small because I'd forgotten about the part where they call him a shrimp and they talk about him being undersized. But I was like, he's yeah, he's too small to be an NFL player. And I think it really plays in more to the thing about the the team not wanting to give him, not wanting to invest that much in him. And the, the GM says, you know, I want a big guy, 6'4", who, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And that that is that is a stereotype. You want a guy who looks like DK Metcalf. Right. And not, DK you know, Metcalf? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. This is this is one I had to include because it's Oscar month on big screen sports. Of the five films nominated for Best Picture in 1996, Jerry Maguire, The English Patient, Fargo, Secrets and Lies, and Shine, this was the only one from a major studio. That's kind of a weird Best Picture year. Not a lot yeah, of who rewatchables. Won that year? In English that. Patient. Uh, English Patient. And English yeah, Patient is not a rewatchable movie. No, it wasn't. And yeah, like. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of go back and forth on the English patient because at the time it came out, I really, really loved it. But when I think, and I'm sure I was happy that it won, but when I think about it compared to Jerry Maguire, Jerry Maguire is a movie that has stayed with me much longer. I quote it all the time. Even things like sometimes I'll just find myself going like kush lash, kush lash, like out of the blue. And it's, it, you know, English Patient just isn't that kind of movie. You watch, you're right. You watch it one time, it's over. And I don't think you necessarily carry it with you like I did so many of the moments from Jerry Maguire. Yeah, Jerry Maguire is definitely more ingrained in the pop culture lexicon, which, I mean, it, it isn't to say, you know, it, it's just kind of based on the rewatchability. And that's not what you base Best Picture off, but it's definitely a more enjoyable watch, I would say, without a doubt. For sure. For sure. um, Cameron Crowe has stated that Jerry's memo slash mission statement was directly influenced by Jeffrey Katzenberg's tirade after leaving Disney. And Cameron Crowe really did write out the entire 27 page mission statement. Wow. Why would you do I that? That's I mean, it's like the part of the process would be my would be. My yeah, guess. I know. It's it's. I feel like it's one of those things really creative people do. And it's just like, yeah, but you don't have to do that. Yeah. Well, that's why <laughs> yeah, I would it. never do that. And that's why Cameron Crowe has, has won Oscars. And that's why I'm, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> and then finally, the Cardinals Cowboys game at the end of the movie was an, actually an ABC Monday night football game played on Monday, December 25th, 1995. In the movie, the Cardinals won and in real life, the Cowboys won 37-13. That's because we them boys. I, I am unapologetically a Cowboys fan. Oh, boy. <laughs> I am sorry. <laughs> Me too, actually. Me too. I feel like you should have just closed this before I'd agreed to come yeah, on the you show. You know, I didn't for a reason. <laughs> I, ha- I had to watch Mitchell Trubisky beat the Cowboys this year. So, you know, I, I think it's fair that fair yeah. that you do a pod. Okay, fine. Um, let's get into best scene. Uh, the opening scene, it's like Jerry being Jerry. You see that he he's talented in, in, in his profession, but he's also becoming disillusioned. You've got the Brent Berry cameo, not signing the card and then a, a pint sized Drake bell telling Jerry to fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty great. Mm-hmm. Really set you up for the, for the movie. Well, um, the Jerry's firing, uh, when, when Bob sugar fires him at the restaurant and then the rapid calling, that's when you get, show me the money. 
Yeah, what, what, what can I do for you, Rod? You just tell me what can I do for you. It's a very personal, very important thing. Hell, it's a family model. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. I just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Here it is. Show me the money. Show you the money. Oh, no, no, you can do better than that, Jerry. I want you to say it with you with me, then, brother. Hey, I got Bob Sugar on the other line. I better hear you say it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show you the money. Not, not show you. Show me the money. Show me the money. Yes. Louder! Show me the money! That's it, brother, but you got to yell that shit! Show me the money! I need to feel you, Jerry! Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! You know, potentially the most iconic scene from the movie. Yes, I get, yeah, Show Me the Money is the most famous. I get anxiety watching him go through the numbers in China and watching people drop off his phone line one by one while Bob Sugar's got like eight people helping him make All calls. All the blinking green I seriously, lights. Oh. Yes. I, yeah, I, I get like, I'm, I start like clenching things like pillows and couch cushions and everything while I'm watching it. It is very stressful. When I'm on the phone with a client and I get a call from another client, just one, and I can't answer it, it gives me anxiety. And like Jerry has 15 people on hold and it's, oh, <laughs> it's a tough scene, tough scene for Jerry Maguire. Uh, there's, then there's the pre-draft night. Uh, he's walking the lobby with Tidwell. You get the Kuiper Jr. cameo and then the Cushman's flip on him, uh, which which hurts, hurts to see. Yeah, it does. Yeah, the Cushmans are the worst. Yeah, hate the Cushmans. Hate the Cushmans. <laughs> Jerry showing up at Dorothy's really drunk. Uh, it, that one is, it's the Ray show. It comes out when uh, when little Jonathan Lipnicki says, you said fuck, is this the best? Ray the zoo, you know, fucking zoo's closed, right? <laughs> Also, the scene where you just see the top of his head going behind the couch where he's like, I have to go. I hear my mom. That's another thing I still say all the time. And that is, for my money, the cutest scene in the movie when you can just see the top of his head. He's like, I got to go. I hear my mom. As soon as you see that, you you watch that scene, you're just like, I need more Ray in this movie and I need it now. <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jerry and Rod at training camp. That's when you get help me help you in the bathroom. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's another example of the cruise in Cuba, the charisma and chemistry, them bouncing off each other. Uh, you know, a really good reason why this movie works. There's the first cards game. Uh, Jerry and Rod have another post game talk about Jerry's marriage. And then Jerry gives that that play from your heart spiel to Rod. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not sure Rod would be getting ignored in the locker room like he is, but that, that's that's something for another topic. Uh, and then there's right. Dorothy and Jerry's conversation about separating in the backyard. Uh, you know, kind of a kind of a tough watch. There's the Monday night yeah. football scene. You know, we get Rod's moment. A lot of a lot of Cowboys cameos. You get Troy Emmett, Dion, Barry Switzer. You love to see it. Um, then I, I felt obligated to include the you had me at hello scene. It's not going to be my pick, but I, I felt like I couldn't include it in best scenes. And then there's Rod on Roy Firestone's show getting his contract, shouting out Jerry, <laughs> crying. Do you have a pick for yeah. what is your what is the best scene or what is your favorite scene? They might not be one in the same. 
my my favorite moment in the movie is when Rod at the end after he's gone through everybody he goes Jerry Maguire like that's the goosebump moment mm-hmm. for me but I do love the the help me help you scene in the locker room and that is the scene where like when I rewatch that I'm always struck by how real despite all the action movies and Mission Impossibles and diving off of things how much Tom Cruise really is a really good actor when he's jumping around and he's like fine fine you know and kicking the wall and everything that is just a great scene between the two of them and Cuba Gooding Jr. Rod is just like so just kind of amused by him and he is just absolutely at his wits end and all he can do is laugh at him it's such a great scene between the two of them and I think in a weird way sort of shows the dynamic between them is that they even each other out when Rod is about ready to lose it he's got Jerry there to calm him down and Rod does the exact same thing for Jerry and I think that that is something that maybe gets a little bit lost when people talk about this movie but I've always loved that scene so that's my favorite it's not marketed this way but it's kind of a bromance movie they're really an odd couple yeah, it is. And, you know, here's the thing about when we were talking about what makes a great sports movie. I think that you can if you forget that it's about sports and you love it anyway, then I think it's a great sports movie. So, you know, like Major League is a comedy about a group of, you know, nobodies that that go, that make it all the way to the top. Um, you know, The Natural is about overcoming great odds. Like this is a movie about relationships. And and so I, I think that, yeah, the relationship between Jerry and Rod is um, something that you're right. I think it gets lost a little bit, but it's it's uh, definitely one of the high points of the movie. I think that my favorite is the the show me the money, but not because of j- the show me the money. It's just you get Jerry's getting rejected call after call after call. It seems like he's losing all his clients. And then it, it cuts to Rod Tidwell making the grilled cheese or whatever he's making for his kid. And you realize that Cuba Gooding Jr. has turned it all the way up to 100 right off the bat. You get a, a real sense of the guy. And he's, I mean, he's just, he's throwing smoke and it's, it's just really entertaining. And yeah, I agree. And there's that scene later, you know, because he says he'll stay with him. And there's that scene when they're leaving the NFL draft where Jerry has lost Kush and he's like, all he's got left is Rod. And they're on the plane and Rod says, I'm sticking with you. I said I would. And in that moment, it's like he is so much better than Matt Cushman and his my work is my word is as strong as Oak, you know, bullshit. I, I, I love that moment between them. It's such a small moment, but he and he almost swallows it. Cuba Gooding Jr. just goes, I said I would. And that's it. And it's like, yeah, he, he said he would. He is a man of his word. Matt Cushman is not. Mm-hmm. And it, the same thing when that bad contract offer comes in and he just goes to Jerry's, you know, tell me what to do. I'll do it. Yeah. He, it show, he's he's eternally loyal to to Jerry, which we Jerry obviously values loyalty as we we say him in his his romantic relationships, apparently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this movie is made up of great rewatchable scenes. I don't think if you ever if you turn this movie on cable, there's something coming up in the next 10 minutes. That you're like, oh, I got to tune in for it. So, yeah, exactly right. Um, let's take a quick break here from our sponsors, and then we will get back to the most and least authentic parts of the movie. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by Bet Online. Did you miss your chance to bet on the Super Bowl? Fear not. Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter the time of year. With March Madness, the Masters, and MLB opening day right around the corner, Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. FYI, you can still get the Twins plus 2,000 to win the World Series. Does this feel like the year? It feels like the year to me. And it's never too early to even lay down your future bet for Super Bowl 2021. 
Head over to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. I signed up last week to put my money where my mouth is and bet on the Twins plus 2,000 to win the World Series. It's super easy. If you're already making wagers, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up, betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now back to Jerry Maguire. All right, so Julie, let's go to what the most authentic and least authentic sports-centric parts in the movie were. What was the was there anything that stuck out for you as is very realistic or really authentic feeling about this? Uh well, I think there's so much about it, but I think the um the just the idea that he mentored Bob Sugar, that he took him under his wing, that he helped him build this company, that he um, you know, got him to where he was. And then Bob turns around and stabs him into the back. That is such a thing. <laughs> I, I'm sure in, in sports in general, but also in sports media, people only mentor people up to a point because at some point that guy is coming for your job and or that person that you mentored is coming for your job. And so um, that really struck, struck me in a way that I hadn't thought about because I wasn't working in sports the last time I'd seen Jerry Maguire. But it is so true that that happens and that people forget um, there isn't a ton of loyalty in sports like that. So that to me, that just that whole idea of Bob Sugar having once been his mentee and now being his nemesis is something that uh, I, I identify with that quite a bit. And Jerry right away snaps at him in the restaurant too. Right away. That's yeah. his whole thing. I mentored you. I trained you, you know, all that stuff. Uh, yep. it's, it's an instant betrayal. The yeah. most authentic thing I had was a family watching a family member in the NFL is just pins and needles. It's multiple times this year in the, in the movie where you see the the Tidwell family watching Rod and his son's getting sta- sad because Rod's getting hit, and then obviously the injury. Um, I was listening – we're recording this a couple weeks before it's actually dropping. I was listening recently to a, a podcast that featured Chris Long, and he was talking about his brother, Kyle Long, your Bear, Kyle Long, Chicago Bear, just retired. Um, and he was saying there's relief in not having to watch him play in the NFL anymore, not having to watch him get hurt, get hit, because, yeah, Kyle Long is a behemoth, but at the same time, he's Chris Long's little brother, and the NFL is a brutal sport. So I, I found those scenes, especially upon rewatch, when I you think now about the, the NFL in that regard. You, when I was younger, I didn't really think as much about what these guys are going through and what these guys are risking. And and now I think I think a little bit more about that. So watching the Tidwell family have to go through that, I felt was was a very raw, realistic look. And I'm really glad they included it in the movie. Yeah, I am, too. And, I, you know, at the time, we didn't talk about concussions and stuff the way that we do now. We didn't have the knowledge about concussions back in what is 96, 96. when we came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those scenes are a little bit tougher to watch now. And I think just the Rod Tidwell stuff in general is tougher to watch because you know what is going to happen to Rod later on in life, maybe. Um, and and definitely, you know, the scene with Drake Bell and his dad. And I, and I think it's, um, to your point, it's very realistic. I think that the families of these guys are concerned about them and everyone else around them is just concerned about a buck. But they're, I mean, they're disposable, you know, there's always going to be another guy coming up. So, yeah, I, I would agree that that's pretty true to life. Mm-hmm. And this movie is very, very close to being incredibly ahead of its time and progressive and smart about concussions and head injuries. 
But that leads into my least authentic part. Rod Tidwell needs medical attention and he needs it now. Yeah, he does. <laughs> right, he does. Yeah, and he's like spinning around on his head and stuff. I'm like, that is not good. The for your brain. second that he they find they get to him and he's unconscious, the the ambulance is out there, the gurney's out there. They're just like, should we call a gurney? Like Dude, he's fuck. He might be fucking dead. Like, yeah, you, he I know. needs medical attention. Yeah, and I have a kid right now who had got a concussion in wrestling and is in actual physical therapy because his balance still isn't back. So I mean, yeah, to get knocked out to that extent, he definitely is concussed. He should not go back in the game. But yeah, you're exactly right. Um, did you have anything else for for the most or the the least realistic? Yeah, I mean, the in the age of fantasy football, the idea that a guy would be the best kept secret in the NFL is ridiculous. Somebody would have mined that guy's data. He would be a big star just because of his value in fantasy football. If he's breaking as many records as they're talking about Rod breaking every record you had last year, everybody would know who that guy is. He would be the hottest fantasy football commodity. He'd be a big star on Madden. So yeah, that part for me. And and that's just a function of the time it was made. I mean, my kids cheer more for individual players than they do for teams because they've grown up in fantasy football and with Madden. So that's something I think that has changed a lot since 96. I went I went and looked. They give us a nugget of of stats from Rod's season before the season depicted in the film. And it says he had 110 receptions and, and 1550 receiving yards. That would have put him six in receptions in 1995 and fifth in receiving yards. Like he, he's a pro bowler for sure. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I also feel like the media would have loved him. They do a lot of like you're saying, like he would have been a star for his on field. But I feel like the media every post game they show Rod getting ignored. I feel like they would have been rushing that guy. He's like Richard Sherman. You have no idea what he's going to say. He's like a, a dream. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the, the whole Rod Tidwell is 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 under the radar. You're you're right. Is is very unrealistic. But uh, let's get into what worked about this movie. What was obviously what was realistic, but what, what was enjoyable? What just made this movie click for you? What, what are the main things that stick out? I, as a Generation Xer, I am uh, obligated to love Cameron Crowe movies, whether it's Singles or Say Anything or Jerry Maguire. So I was thinking when I was watching the beginning. Uh, this is a real Cameron Crowe movie. The way they cut back and forth, the way they keep cutting back to Dickie Fox. Um, it's it's very, it's very Cameron Crowe. Um, what works about it, and I was thinking about this in the light of the discussions we had around Star is Born, where we keep remaking this movie about an older guy who is just drowning and grabbing onto a younger woman and taking her down with him. Um, and this, I think that the thing, that the reason that it works for me Jerry ultimately is very likable, even though he's unlikable at times. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's grabbing on to whatever he can on the way and trying to take them down with him because he just doesn't want to be alone. I mean, that's the theme of the movie, right? He doesn't want to be alone. Um, but I think there's a real great juxtaposition in how Jerry has, you know, I don't think we're ever concerned that he's in financial distress at any point. I mean, maybe financial distress for him, but like Jerry Maguire is not going to be homeless. Jerry Maguire has probably made millions. Jerry um, Maguire probably Jerry comes have, from money, too. Yeah, right. I mean, I think it's sort of implied, right, that he that, you know, well, he says at one point I helped build this place. So he's probably got equity partnership in it, whatever. Um he doesn't have a family to support. It's just him. And yeah, maybe you won't be able to go on vacation to Hawaii this year. Like boohoo. But Dorothy is in a much more precarious position. She's got a child. She's got to have medical. She's, you know, she is the one who's living with her sister. She doesn't own a home or she can't even rent a home. 
she's in a much more precarious position, but she's the one that's sort of keeping it together and that is grounding everything. And I think that for me as a woman watching this movie, um, it's, there is something really likable in the fact that she just keeps on keeping on no matter what happens to her because she has to, because she has a child while he is allowed to just completely fall apart. And so I think for me, that makes that Dorothy character really, really likable. See, I, for, for different reasons, but kind of say the Dorothy character for me, I, I was a single parent for, for a period of time. Um, I was, I was basically in the same, same situation as Dorothy. And there's a lot of familiar strokes to me that are like, I really get where she's coming from. The, the scene when she gets emotional over Ray kissing Jerry is like like yeah. I brought a woman into my son's life, and that like s- same energy, girl. Like I, I I think Renee Zellweger is excellent in this movie. I don't I don't necessarily l- like everything about what they gave her character, but I I do think she's excellent. I also think I mean this movie is is it, this movie thrives on excellent performances, and like you kind of said earlier, it doesn't work if Jerry's not likable, and Tom Cruise is just fantastic. He's, he's he so is. good. I mean, look, I mean, I'm a person who is constantly concerned about social issues. Like I won't go see movies if I don't like the people in them because of their political stances or whatever. As much as I know Tom Cruise is like part of Scientology and he's a, one of the high up guys and was basically a cult and this cult is horrible things to horrible people. I love Tom Cruise. I mean, even after I went to see Edge of Tomorrow, which was, I think, his first big movie after he had, you know, his career had sort of tanked because of all um, the Scientology stuff. I walked out of that movie being like, or not Edge of Tomorrow. What's it called? Edge of, is it called yeah, Edge, Edge of Tomorrow? Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow. The one with Emily Blunt. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was like, I love Tom Cruise. I'm like, I don't care. And I think that that's a big reason why this movie works, because Tom Cruise has been such a huge presence for so long, has been in so many movies, so many movies that we love, like Risky Business the outsiders. I mean that he really is just eminently likable no matter what he does. And, and that is, that is a must for Jerry Maguire. As long as scheduling and recording works out, he will have been the star of last week's movie days of thunder. That is the plan right now as of, Ah. as of this time of recording. (laughs) And this is a movie that he is, he's carrying with straight charisma. A lot of movies it's his charisma and his likability, but also, you know, him holding onto the side of a plane. This is, it's just, it's just Tom Cruise. The guy's barely holding on. He's very emotionally fragile, but he's also charismatic. What, what's, uh, what's the thing about Jerry? He's the, the master of the, the boardroom or whatever, the, the living room. The living room. Yeah, the living room. Yep. And he, he really is. And then the same thing with Cuba Gooding, Cuba Gooding Jr. might be better than Tom Cruise. And again, you have to forget certain things you've learned about Cuba Gooding Jr. recently. Yep. But he's, he might be better in this movie and combining those two and every scene, every scene there together is just fantastic. It's just, it's perfect casting, perfect chemistry. You, you just can't argue with it. Yeah, I agree. And did we ever get another performance like this from Cuba Gooding Jr.? So you, I just don't you think wait there was. For, you like, waited forever for Cuba Gooding Jr. I always had this hope that Cuba Gooding Jr. would, would have something like he doesn't turn it on in the same way after this the same kind of character like it goes there's there's men of honor where he's supposed to be serious and poor poor pearl harbor where he's supposed to be serious there's not a whole lot of you know and then it goes into you know looking at his looking at his imdb it's a lot of like oh oh god oh god oh god yeah like snow dogs and like that kind of stuff uh the sequel to daddy daycare oh man he got nominated for uh for rat two razzies in the same year Yikes. Norbit and Daddy Day Camp. 
Well, and one of the things, I mean, Rod has the potential, right, to come off like a real asshole, but for some reason he doesn't, and it's also because Cuba Gooding Jr. is really, really likable. And that was one of the things that I think is is really true about, about the movie being true to life, that a lot of guys that, you know, we always hear about wide receivers being the divas. Those guys are also super charismatic. I mean, I've interviewed tons of them. They are the most fun guys. They can turn it on and turn it off. Um, so, I mean, it, it sort of fit that for a receiver, he would have that personality because a lot of guys in the league who have that role have sort of that personality. He is also the recipient of what I think might sneakily be the funniest line of the movie is when the guy comes, he's wearing the the hat and the guy comes up to him and asks, are you Hootie? Which is a very 1996 <laughs> <No>. line. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so I love good. it. I also love how mad Darius Rucker gets when people call him Hootie. Like, you named your band Hootie and the Blowfish. Don't get mad when people call you Hootie. I agree. I, I, I completely agree. Um, I also think Jerry O'Connell really looks the part of a 90s first-round pick quarterback. He's 6'2". He's good-looking. I, I think that was good casting in the limited, limited kind of screen time he got. Yeah, except what did you think about his... Well, I, maybe we'll get to this later. His, like, actual throwing. Not, not ideal. I mean, there is a... There's a sliding scale of sports movies in how realistic the action has to look based on what year it came out. The 90s don't have to look quite as good as if he was a quarterback in, in 29. I think it's a mix of higher expectations, a little better athletes, but maybe not the best, but at least he looks the part. If you saw his name or his picture pop up as, you know, you know Frank, Cush, whatever his name was, Cushman drafted 1-1, yeah. The, the face looks the part. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly right. Um, he does have physically, he does look like like an NFL quarterback. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. What else did you have that worked for you with this movie? Anything else of note? Well, like I said, I think the, you know, the the story ostensibly is, is billed as a romantic comedy about the relationship between him and Dorothy. But I actually think that he has more charisma with Cuba Gooding Jr. and with Jonathan Lipnicki than he does with his love interest. Um, I mean, there's so many great moments in this movie. I mean, I was thinking about, uh, you know, the supporting roles in this, and, and I know that's something you had for a little bit later, but um, I, there, it's because it's the way that Tom Cruise plays off everybody in this movie and the way they all play off each other. We haven't talked about Regina King yet. I mean, she's oh, absolutely fantastic oh, in this movie. Powerhouse. Oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of likable people in this movie. And so when they do bad things, they do horrible things, they hurt each other. You sort of forgive them because they are also eminently likable. Yeah, it's I think it's the strength of Almost Famous as well in that the cast, a lot of things could have gone south had the cast not been really good and been been likable as the people they're portraying. And it, it just everything works really well. Everything works really smoothly in this movie. The unlikable, the people are supposed to be unlikable are unlikable. The people are supposed to be rough, but likable are it's it just supremely acted. I mean, it's a reason it caught a couple, you know, Oscar nominations for acting um, as, as far as football on the field. I think all the on field stuff looks pretty decent. All of Rod's catches look good. Um, getting all the cameos gives the movie a lot of authenticity, being surrounded by actual athletes mm -hmm. and, and people in sports. Um, let's go into what didn't work about this movie. Was there anything really glaring for you besides the the Rod stuff we already talked about? 
You know, I only the only thing I really noticed upon rewatching it um, was it's sort of like I mentioned earlier, the Cam and, Cameron Cronus of it, which, you know, if you've seen a million Cameron Crow movies, you know what he does. It's like the sliding back and forth where people describe someone. It's the breaking of the fourth wall. It's it's all that kind of stuff, um, which I think is a little bit dated now, although when Cameron Crow did it, it was sort of like, you know, his hallmark and no one else had really done it before. Um, but the, I mean, other than that, I, you know, I really... I love this movie. I mean, so I don't, I don't know that there's a ton about it that I don't like. I mean, sure. There's, there's little things here and there, but nothing has really jumped out at me. And I think that when you talk about the Cameron Crowness of the movie with those, you know, Cameron Crow moments where, you know, he always works the replacements in there somehow, which I love, um, you know, it's always got a really great soundtrack. It's, it's always got the throwbacks to like mentors or, you know, other people or whatever, someone talking to the camera kind of thing. But you also get that great Cameron Crowe dialogue with it. And he has an ability to drill down to truths, I think, in a way that other people don't. And I mean, if you think back on so many of his movies, we have all these lines like she gave me her heart. I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen. You know, just all those kinds of little Cameron Crowe moments. And and I think that despite whatever it is that you might not like about this movie or might not be realistic, that, that he really does have an ability to to get down to the nitty gritty of, of emotions and relationships. And ultimately, that's what I like so much about it. Yeah, I think anything that's unlikable or just didn't work about this movie is kind of nitpicky stuff that doesn't kill it. I mean, I, I've, I said earlier, my biggest problem is kind of the the Jerry Dorothy relationship. It's not something that I don't think you leave the movie feeling super good about it. Um, and, and maybe that's not the intention, um, but it's just like like Dorothy says she pretty much knows his little black book video from his bachelor party by heart. I don't know how you can see that and not be like, whoa, this guy has a zillion red flags. He's probably not the person I need to impulse marry. Yeah. And there's the scene where they're all like, you know, he can't be alone. He can't be alone. He can't be alone. Like, why would you put that in someone's bachelor video? I know. Yeah, <laughs> it was really uh, in like the his his fiance. Uh, Avery is participating in it and she's not seeing any red flags in this very, very certain. I mean, and, and when J- Jerry and Dorothy first start the, the, the beginning of their romantic relationship is when he shows up tanked after the draft and they, they end up kissing on the porch or whatever. But like it, their first date, he still has a cut on his eye from his fiance punching him. That's just yeah. ultimate like, hey, this guy, you know, he, he probably needs to take at least a year and, and find himself. He doesn't need to be dating, getting married, etc. Right. And and I I don't one thing I don't like is how desperate Dorothy is for him, like how impressed she is by him, how like when he says, you know, I broke up with my fiance that she does that like scene behind his back, like, oh, my God. Um, I, I mean, I get that she has a crush on him. But she's almost like a puppy dog following him around at his heels. And and I think her character was a little bit deserved a little bit better than that. And I think that's ultimately why you don't necessarily feel like even at the end that he that he reciprocates this relationship because you've seen how sort of slavishly devoted she is to him. And, you know, you never see him. They're turning that. Yeah, you 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 said earlier, you really think it's all about Ray. And it probably is, honestly. That's when he gets the most emotional is when he goes to Ray's bedroom after they've after they've separated or decided to go their separate ways. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really the toughest thing. The only other thing I had that didn't work is they say that that Frank Cushman is doing his pre-draft workout in Odessa, Texas, which I'm assuming is his hometown. I went to college in Odessa, Texas. That's not where I would host my my pre-draft workout. That's a tough <laughs> airport for everyone to get to. Very expensive flights, very out in the middle of nowhere. 
you know that that's that's not the move. I don't think host that <laughs> host that back at your college campus, sir. Wherever you went to college, I, I think that's where the where everyone wants to be. Don't make everyone come out to Odessa, Texas. That's a bad look on the pro day. Yeah, where did Kush go to college? I don't think we ever found out. I don't know. So he so if he's from Odessa, Texas, I, I he doesn't seem like a UT guy though, like a Texas guy. Like maybe his name. He feels like a Mississippi State guy to me. Yeah, I I could see that. I. I Matt Cushman also says Cush needs to play right away, but then says he needs to go to Denver. Uh, Denver has John Elway just sitting there ready to win two Super Bowls back to back. So <laughs> Matt Cushman, Matt Cushman hasn't been watching much NFL football lately. No, probably not. Yeah. And anything but Fox News, apparently. Uh, Matt, Matt Cushman was ground floor on Fox News. Yeah, exactly right. Um, let's get into the, th- this will be kind of brief, the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. Awards for Best and Worst On-Screen Athlete. Uh, there's not a whole lot to to touch on here. Um, if, if you want to count an agent as an athlete, I think you can definitely see Cruz as Jerry as being good at his job. And then yeah. Cuba looks good enough as an undersized wideout. There's not a whole lot to, to nitpick here. Did you have anything yeah, for I it? Just, no, I would just say the scene where, where Cuba um, has like his shirt off and he's dancing around the house and they show me the money. He looks like an NFL player. I mean, he looks like he is an NFL player. He looks like a guy who works out all the time. So there's that. And the uh, the scene where there's only a c- couple quick shots of Cush throwing footballs, but he looks bad. He looks worse than Mitch Trubisky. He's sort of like Jerry O'Connell's like bent forward at the waist and like it's all arm. There's like nothing coming from his lower body. So that was the only thing I noticed. Yeah, he is not as bad as Freddie Prince Jr. in Summer Catch, who looks like he's throwing left handed. He looks like he might be right handed, but <laughs> he's not great. Um, on that same note, though, I just watched Major League a couple days ago. Charlie Sheen looks fantastic when he's pitching. I know he was a pitcher. He looks really good. He looks like a Major League pitcher. They said he was up to 86 during filming. Yeah. Pretty good. Great. Not too bad. Uh, let's move to the what I think is probably the, the toughest category to nail down, the most loaded category, the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. Oh, wow. We've got Jay Moore as Bob Sugar, King Scumbag. Jonathan Lipnicki is Ray, the most adorable kid on the planet. Kelly Preston is Avery Bishop. Regina King is Marcy Tidwell. She's fierce. She's on her A game. Bonnie Hunt is Laurel, who we haven't talked about at yep. all. And I, I'm going to butcher this last name. Jared Juicim as Dickie Fox. Did I miss any of your favorites? So no. So well, yes. So here, so I was thinking I had to do five and like and count them down. Okay. So these are my top five. So number five is the women's group as a whole. The divorce women's because, group. Yeah, the divorce women's group that Ray falls asleep in the room and she goes running to rescue him. I've been a part of a lot of book clubs that feel a lot like that, including the really bad high fiving when someone says they got in touch with their anger. So that was a great one. Um, number four is Dickie Fox. Hey, I don't have all the answers in life. To be honest, I failed as much as I've succeeded. But I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you my kind of success. And I say to him, I still say all the time, I love my life, I love my wife, and I wish you my kind of success. I say that all the time, um, even though I'm married to a man. Um, number three is Jonathan Lipnicki. So cute. Just so, so cute. cute. Hi, Ray. Aren't, uh, you supposed to be in bed? Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. I won't tell. The human head weighs eight pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Number two is the extremely underrated Bonnie Hunt, 
who is fantastic in this movie. I love Bonnie Hunt. She's a huge Cubs fan. And she's so good in this movie. And she never, ever gets mentioned. And I had to go with Regina King for number one because she's just... She's bringing heat. She is just on her A-game. Right away, too, when she's in Jerry's office. How can I make your life better? Jerry, this is humiliating, and I'm pregnant, and I'm incapable of bullshit. Where is our offer from Arizona? Cronin's okay for lunch? Or is he just one of our agents? It's Bob Sugar who needs to learn to knock. Pleasure. You've called our house, right? Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you guys. Now, I don't know what you do for your 4%, but this man, my husband, has a whole plan, an image. And when you put him in a waterbed warehouse commercial, excuse me, you're making him common. When you know we deserve the big four. Shoe, car, clothing line, soft drink. I know about the four jewels of the celebrity endorsement dollar. Wow. I majored in marketing, baby, and so did my husband. We came to play. And she is so part of what makes that family itself so likable. She's so fierce. She's out to, you know, defend her entire family or to, you know, for whatever. She's there for Rod. She's there for the kid. She's pregnant. She's trying to hold it all together. And another reason why I like this movie so much, like I said before, like really strong female characters in this movie who are kind of keeping it all together and holding down the fort while the men are falling apart. Yeah. Laurel, uh, Bonnie Hunt, she's like the the only person who's viewing jerry and dorothy's relationship out of a pure like sane point of view yeah she, she's really the takes the whole thing is like hey, are, are you sure about this and are she's you, kind you? of a stand-in for us right i mean because we're all like looking at this like ah, i don't know if this is a good idea and she's sort of the voice of the viewer i think yeah she is the voice of reason but i i agree marcy tidwell's the pick uh, regina king is marcy tidwell she's excellent um, let's get into the big chill. Every good sports movie has that big chill moment. That is, that is Roy Hobbs knocking out the lights at the end of the natural, that kind of thing. I have three uh, three nominees. There's there's Rod's moment after the catch where he he comes to his senses after su- suffering a severe brain injury and dances around the the stadium. You know, people love that. There's the hug with Jerry post game, and then there's the the Roy Firestone show when he when he shouts out Jerry, gets his contract, shouts out Jerry. Did I miss anything? No, not for me. What is your pick? My pick is at the end when he's on Roy Firestone and he says Jerry Maguire. Or, you know, I go back and forth between that one and the one where he, where Rod finally gets what he wants. He walks out of the locker room. No one's ignoring him anymore. Everybody wants every second of his attention. Um, he's finally got all the lights and the cameras in his face and he can't even function. And all he knows to do is call out for his friend. Who at this point, it's like it's not his agent anymore. It's his rock. It's his friend. Um, so I don't know. I go back and forth between those two moments. But I feel like the one that really gives me goosebumps is on Roy Firestein's show when he's like, Jerry Maguire. And, and then Tom Cruise gives him that great look, that very Tom Cruise look where he sort of looks down and looks up from under his eyebrows. Um, that's like a patented Tom Cruise heart melting look. And, and I think that's the one that it gives me goosebumps just talking about it right now. Oh, I love my wife. Wow, Marcy. Baby, I love my kids. I love you. Tyson, my baby, my new baby, Katie. My my older brother, who got one leg, but he's still doing it. And my and my younger brother, TP. You're militant, but I ain't mad at you. I ain't got nothing but love for you. I love my teammates. I'm, I'm leaving somebody out here, well, we Roy. We only have a half hour on the show. I, I want to send some beautiful love out to my offensive Jerry. line. These are a fierce, beautiful, loving individuals. Nice to see you. Congratulations. Thank you. Good for you. Thank you. I'm you out hey, Jerry, how you doing? Remember Troy from the Super Bowl yeah, party? Sure. Hey, Jerry. I met 93. That's right. Good to see you. Yeah, enjoyed your memo. Thank you. Arizona Cardinal Thank organization. You. You're a little slow, but you come around. Okay, we're almost out of time. Right now. We're <laughs> wait, 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 I'm, I'm forgetting somebody. 
Jerry Maguire, my agent. You are my ambassador of Quan, man. Yeah, I think that's the pick. I, I think it's the it's the most satisfying because like when post game, like you said, when Roy come, or when uh, when Rod comes out, he's got everything he's wanted, all the the media on him and stuff. That's really good. But the the one on the show, like he's got the contract, which was the whole thing that it's the the number the the salary number is not only enough for him and his family to live off it it's more than he wanted and it's it shows he's appreciated and that is all that Rod Tidwell has really wanted is to be appreciated and then you get like the apex of the bromance with him and Jerry I I agree Julie would this movie make a good thirty for thirty had this occurred in real life would it make a good thirty for thirty or behind the scenes kind of documentary. I don't think so, because there's not enough drama, really. I mean, the drama is so subtle. And the only reason it works is because you're living with these people 24 hours a day, seeing everything they're going through. Just having a guy, you know, not get the contract he wants and then betting on himself and going, you know, into a season and having a monster season and getting a big contract. There's not a big story arc there. I think the story arc here the reason is in the little things that we're interested in. I don't know that that works in the confines of just a sports movie. Yeah, I think the only way that this would be a 30 for 30 or any sort of documentary is if this was the beginning. If Jerry Maguire had gone on to start this new sports agency that is about what he he said it was going to be, the, you know, personal, fewer clients, less money, personal relationships. And this yeah. was the start of it. And he went on to revolutionize the, the sports agent business. Yeah, I agree. Um, that that would you know, be the only way. It's funny because the most famous line from this is show me the money. But, you know, you were right when he finally gets everything he wants, which is the respect. It's really not about money at all. Mm -hmm. I forgot to say this and kind of what didn't work. But I feel like when Jerry's losing his clients and stuff, I feel like the pitch, if he was calling his clients and saying, yeah, you know, they fired me because I I wanted to put this focus on on more personal focus and, and relationships. I feel like that would be a better better selling point of I'm I'm trying to pay more attention to my clients. I feel like that would have been a se- better selling point. It wouldn't have worked for the movie, but I feel like more people would have been like, you know what? Yeah, I am going with you, Jerry Maguire. It probably would have been. But at that point, I don't know that he really believes it outside of having this, you know, middle of the night meltdown. Have you ever done that? Like I've done that. Like I've gotten up and I've written a piece that's really emotional. Or I fired off a bunch of tweets or something. And the next morning I'm like, wow, how do I start walking this back? Oh, and I yeah. feel like that's sort of where he was. Like, you know, I got to when he calls and he's like, did all the memos go out yet? Because he's, he's sort of not really sure about it. And I don't know that he really I mean, he had that moment of crisis of conscience, but I don't know that it really um, that he really believes in that as a business strategy until closer to the end of the movie. And one of the things I didn't say about something unrealistic, nobody's going to announce their offer to a player on Roy Firestein's show. That's just oh, not definitely. That's very behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's I, I agree. That's like the thing. Like if I if I jump out of bed and write some freelance pitch and fire it off to a couple outlets and the next morning, I'm like, oh, my God, I hope they don't contact me about that because I really don't want to write it. I don't believe it at all. It was just a random idea. Right, right. Um, finally, Julie, how would you improve this movie? It's a Hall of Fame movie, so there's not a lot of improvements in, in movies like that. But if you had to improve it, did, did you have anything for that? Yeah, I mean, I want I, I want more if if I'm really to believe in the Tom and, or the Jerry and Dorothy love story at the end, like there needs to be more there. I don't know how you would do it or what you would do it with. Or maybe it's pulling back a little bit on her sort of following around with puppy dog eyes at the beginning. 
Um, but I, I just want her character. I want more for her. I want better for her character than a guy who's really in love with her kid and gosh, sure does like her a lot. So th- I think there needed to be more than that. You complete me moment. Um, for her, like, I, I want to believe in that relationship, but it just doesn't what you see just doesn't give it to you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Cameron Crowe could have made this movie without having a relationship but I honestly wouldn't have hated to see a version where there is no Dorothy and Jerry. She's she's his assistant. She's come with him on this thing. And he becomes a mentor to her child and becomes attached to her child and can be a positive role model. And, and, the, the, and, and Ray kind of teaches Jerry about, you know, there, there's more to life than, than what it gives Jerry. So it kind of fills that hole in Jerry. And Jerry's a mentor to him. But maybe there's... Maybe she's just his assistant. Maybe she's just his partner in this endeavor. Maybe they're they're not together. I don't know if this movie comes together. I don't know if Cameron Crowe would ever want to do it like that. I I think that would have would have been kind of interesting if it's just that that because it, it wouldn't be the first time there's been a movie or something where it's a relationship with with an adult and a child, a, a, a child who needs a mentor, an adult who you know, need some sense of responsibility or some sense of importance in their life that's beyond just their job. So I, I don't think, I don't know if that's the same movie at the end of the day, but it'd be something that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, so if they make that movie and at the end, they show them in like, you know, an office with lots of assistants running around and she has an office as big as his office and she's got her own assistants. Does that make up for a more satisfying ending? I kind of think maybe it does. Uh, having Dorothy with some professional success I, yeah. and some in, some more independence than just being attached to Jerry Maguire. I think so. Yeah. I think it's a much more satisfying ending. Yeah. I think also a Rod moment without a brain injury. Maybe like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe he, maybe he breaks like two fingers or something <laughs> and they're like, you know, Rod, they're not going to break any worse, but it, it's going to be painful. And he's like, I, you know, we got to make the playoffs. I'm going out there. And he gets stung in the hands, but he holds onto the ball in the end zone. And it's like, hey, you know, Rod, later that offseason, Rod had surgery on his fingers. He's fine. Right. <laughs> they're gonna be a little they're gonna be a little sore in his sixties, but at least he's gonna remember his own name. One of his pinkies points a little in the opposite direction, but it's fine, it's fine. No, yeah, and if you're gonna do the brain injury thing, I at least need like a fast forward to Rod like at like sixty-five, you know, like making sure that he's okay and his faculties are all still there. Yeah, and Marcy's you, not like having a weight on him hand and foot. Yeah, you know, you definitely need that that rod fast forward. But um, this is a great movie. There's not a whole lot that to, to improve it. It's very rewatchable. Julie, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, tell the folks again where they can follow you and find your work. You can get me on uh, social media across the board at Julie DeCaro. And you can hear me uh, weeknights on 670 The Score from 10 to 12 in Chicago and on Saturdays at a rotating time slot on The Julie and Maggie Show. Awesome. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember, subscribe, rate, review. You guys know the drill. Follow on Twitter at Big underscore Screen Sport and Instagram at Big Screen Sports Pod to get sports movie content and upcoming episode news. I hope everyone is enjoying the, the beginning of Oscar month. Catch us every Monday with new episodes. Thanks.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.